0: Hello out there in podcast land. This is your host, Desha Clay. I have a favor to ask of you. If you're a fan of the show, and I am going to guess that you are because you're listening to us right now, go to your iTunes, subscribe to the show, give us a little rating and a review. Okay, great. Thanks. So here we are again, yet another in our Boktoberfest series. The bad news is that I once again have to say the words Bachtoberfest. Bachtoberfest. And him too. The good news is that you get to hear cellist Matt Heimovitz talking about Bach, which is pretty freaking cool. Matt's actually been on the show before. He was on with Christopher O'Reilly then. If you like this episode, go and check that one out for sure. By the way... Uh, we did a Google Hangout that uh, goes with this show, so look for that on the internet. Um, Matt and I are recording this episode on video. It's pretty cool. Okay, I'm going to shut up, listen to the episode. Uh, enjoy it. Bye. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little classical music. I grew up listening to rock, and I know something about jazz, but when it comes to classical, but I really want to learn. So, every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is cellist Matt Heimovitz. He attended Juilliard and Harvard, which you may have heard of. He was the youngest person to receive the Avery Fisher Career Grant for Exceptional Musical Achievement. He likes to bring classical music to non-traditional venues like nightclubs. He was the first classical artist who record at CBGB's. I think he opened for the Ramones. Um, he started the Oxingale record label, on which you can hear his new CD, The Cello Suites, according to Anna Magdalena. Matt Heimovitz, welcome back to the Classical Classroom.
1: Great to be back with you.
0: And I can actually see you because we are having a Google Hangout, which is really cool.
1: You can sort of see me, although I'm behind a mic. That's Yeah,
0: right. I, I think I'm obscured, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is good to see you.
0: So um, my my first question to you is, why are you dressed like a lumberjack on the cover (laughs) of your CD? (laughs) Uh,
1: Because, um, you know, winter's coming and I I have to um, get the firewood ready.
0: Right. I, that is important. And, you know, you got to bring your cello out into the woods.
1: You don't, you don't deal with that in Houston, right? You don't, you don't have to worry about that. But up, no. up here on the, you know, on the East Coast, it gets cold.
0: <laughs> we don't have this winter that you think of. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so actually, I want to know about box cello suites, because I, I think you have now recorded these twice. So, first, right. what's a suite... And then, what are box cello suites?
1: Well, a suite is something that you have for dessert. <laughs>
0: um,
1: no, actually, it's it's um, it's a collection of of dance movements. Interestingly, Bach wrote six cello suites, and Bach liked the number six. He wrote he wrote six of uh, a, a series of violin partitas and sonatas and Brandenburg concerti, and um, six was an important number, and it's also important biblically, you know, in the story of Genesis. Six Mm -hmm. days and one day of rest. So there's something about this kind of cyclic number for for Bach that that is very important. So there are six suites and each suite has six movements, beginning with a prelude, which is kind of generally more improvisatory in in feeling. (laughs) Imagine that Bach improvised it and then wrote it down Mm -hmm. to some degree. And and then it's followed by five dance movements. And in the cello suites, interestingly, the architecture of each suite follows the same form. So we we have an Allemande, kind of an older uh, Baroque German dance, Courant, which can come from Italy or France, a very lively dance, Mm -hmm. uh, very fast. And the Sarband from Spain, which is more. It's, it's the slower dance. It was actually thought in in that period in Bach's time to be the lascivious dance. It was the, <laughs> the sensual, sexy dance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's really the heart of the of the suite. And then that's followed by. Here, it, it varies a little bit in the uh, in the different suites. You've got minuets in the first two, bourées in the in suites three and four, and then you have gavats in suites five and six, mm-hmm. and then finally you have the the closing movement, the jig, which, for the most part. Is kind of a virtuosic, you know, closure to the piece. Except, in certain cases, like in the fifth suite, very dark C minor suite, the jig is kind of almost just a skeleton of a jig. It sort of fades out and uh, just comes back to earth.
0: Back to earth, <laughs> or back to the
1: bad. earth, I should say, like like dust in a way, like all of us. <laughs>
0: Classical classroom, we're actually in the midst of Bachtober. All of our shows this month are about <laughs> Bach, and so what I've learned is that Bach was really kind of uh, all about form and sort of measuring things. And like you mentioned, the the numbers. Why did that appeal to him so much? And is that part of what makes him so kind of unusual?
1: Well, I think it's the balance of that kind of intellectual instinct and... I mean, he's a true composer's composer, you know? I mean, he's really, as you said, with numbers, I mean, he's putting these things together in ways that are so intellectually stimulating. You can sit there and analyze them and just, you know, it's breathtaking
2: mm-hmm.
1: in how he put it together, but, and how he keeps track of... I mean, you listen to a Bach fugue, you know, so complex, he's keeping track of four or five voices happening at once and creating this large coherent form out of that. It's really pretty amazing. But at the same time, his music
0: mm-hmm. on a
1: gut level is just so moving. You know, it can it can bring us to tears, you know, in, in, in how beautiful and how how moving it is. And, and I think that's that's what is so spectacular. <laughs> you have you take a a dance movement, let's mm-hmm. say well let's go with the the fifth suite again. The, you know, the, the courant of the of the fifth suite is, is kind of this French style courant. It's not quite as rambunctious and jumpy as, as uh, the, the Italian style courants. And you could look at that, it's in three, and you could look at it as in three, but you could also simultaneously look at it like it's in two. And that you know that kind of rhythmic complexity not only is there polyphony in in the melodic lines not, not not only are we keeping track of several voices happening at once simultaneously we're also keeping track of different grooves different different sense of pulse in the music and all that is happening at the same time and so the, the the levels of that it's really like it's like you know a shakespeare play that you can kind of endlessly look at and and sort of see in all these different perspectives and as metaphors for so many different things. And you know, you think that you understand the words, but under the surface, those words might mean something completely different. And it, with Bach, it's it's like that at every second.
0: That's yeah, that's really interesting. It's because you don't really think of of math as being something that produces something beautiful, except for you know, I can think of all kinds of examples in nature where that's that's. You know, where the like symmetry of a thing um, produces this beauty, and yeah, I don't know, that makes me think of, yeah, well, of Bach. exactly
1: I mean and it's nature, it just happens, but but there is you know one one of the beauties of being a human being is that we get to ask these questions and and sort of try to understand like how how does this happen, and how for things to survive, there often is symmetry or asymmetry you know mm-hmm. I think I think with Bach. On on a certain level, it's instinctive. I don't think he's yeah. I don't think he's thinking mathematically, you know, and, and equations and and so on when he's writing. It's the same thing, you know, with the modern day composer like Philip Glass.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, for Philip, he just as much said, you know, writing writing Orbit this solo cello piece, was uh, like writing a, a a letter. You know, he just it just came out of him. But if you actually analyze it there's all kinds of fun things Mm and symmetries to look at and and uh it's it's very very thoughtful clever and probably incorporates the golden mean in some way (laughs) and you know all all kinds of stuff that that composers over time think about and use but i think for some of these composers it's just the way their brain is wired
0: yeah just just to use that this forms and the math to to create something that's Lovely to listen to. I would. I could talk about this all day, but <laughs> I really want to talk about Anna Magdalena because I, as I was reading, so you recorded the Bach cello suites before, like a while back, right? And then you decided to re-record them on the CD that you just put out, and it ha- all has something to do with this woman, Anna Magdalena. So <laughs> tell us who she was and how she inspired this new recording.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it started with, quite honestly, from within. You know, like, I just, I didn't recognize what I did back in 2000, and so I I thought, I've got to go back and re-record this music. But um, as, I, as I was working on that project of re-recording this music, the manuscript of Anna Magdalena became very important to me, partly because the one in J.S. Bach's own hand has not survived to history. So that one's lost. I don't know, the kid's... Made origami eggs out of it, or something, or, or uh,
0: I don't <laughs> All know. All twenty-one um, of his. Yeah, kids, probably yeah.
1: drew on the, on the manuscript pages or whatever. So, fortunately, his second wife Anna Magdalena made a very faithful copy, and she—it's kind of uncanny. Her handwriting is very close to J.S. Bach. I, I think I think uh, unless you're a real expert, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. It's it's a bit of a controversial. Manuscript, and that some people think, oh, she had so many kids to take care of, and she was in a hurry, and you know, did she make mistakes, and and does she really mean those splotches, and you know, or is that just like squid ink being spilled on the manuscript, and those aren't really articulations, you know? So people, you know, there is all kinds of thought about this, but I started to look very closely at it, and I've I've started to feel that there is a lot of valuable information, and so I I sort of I became a detective trying to figure out, what does she mean by this? And, you know, whether it's in Bach's own hand or Anna Magdalena, in that time period, there's very little indication in certain ways. There, there are four dynamic markings in all six Bach cello suites mm-hmm. in the Anna Magdalena version. All, all four of them happen in the prelude of the sixth suite of Bach. You know, piano forte, piano forte.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. So loud, soft, loud, soft. And yeah. n- you know, nowhere else in all six suites. So you have three hours of music, and he doesn't tell you whether to be loud or soft or anything in between. <laughs> so with Anna Magdalena, there, there were, you know, many, many important sort of aspects that jumped out at me, and I, I sort of gradually un- unearthed and investigated further, and. A big part of it is articulation. How many notes do you put on one bow? I know it sounds okay. very esoteric and, like, very cello nerdy, but <laughs> but it, it has to do with the way we, we speak and the way language works and whether you sing or you speak.
0: When you say how many notes on one bow, you mean, like, when you move the bow across the strings, like, how many notes are you getting out of that one, like, sort of push or pull? That's exactly of... right. That's exactly oh, okay, right.
1: Cool. So, you, so with with the Manuscript, there are a lot more separate notes than in many of the editions. So, huh. so you go back and forth on individual notes. You have to figure out when she writes a, a line over two notes, is that two slurred or is it three slurred? Are there three notes to, to a bow or two? And then sometimes, very rarely, she'll put like 32 notes on one bow. And Whoa. the effect will be stunning. It'll, it'll <laughs> be very different than the back and forth that you are used to.
0: Wow, that's really So, yeah, so,
1: so things like that start to inform, and it starts to sort of create a sense of rhetoric, a, a sh- mm-hmm. the, the way the line is shaped, and it starts to, you know, since you're providing your own bass line as a cellist, you can put one bass note on one bow, mm-hmm. and so that note rings through the rest of the bar, and because you've given it its due on, on the one bow, and, and all of a sudden you have a sense of real polyphony of several voices happening at once. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, was it unusual that, that that a woman would participate in transcribing Bach's music like this in the day? What that's, was their role then?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and you know, um, there's, there's some controversial uh, musicologists, I think, in, in Australia who decided that uh, Anna Magdalena may have, in fact, composed the Bach cello suites. Uh, so I, I play with that a little bit in my title of the of the album, but but she was a, I think I believe she was a composer and and also a singer in her own right. So obviously she was also su- very supportive of her husband and, and was his copyist and was a very good one. And it takes great skill to do what she what she did for him with, with with the copying. But yeah, it's it's true that there are not a whole lot of women composers that we know of from that that period and mm-hmm. uh, or who have made it into uh, mainstream. Let's say.
0: I'm sure that there have, that's always been the case. You know, it's just that they're lesser known, or maybe not yeah, known. Yeah, and at I think all. it was a little
1: more clandestine somehow. Yeah. I, and, you know, Bach, most of his life, he was working for the church. And and uh, in this period where he wrote the Bachel Suites, he was working for the court. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of an all men's club at that point.
0: Well, so, your, your sense then was that, like, not only was she. Just copying down what Bach had had done, she was kind of adding her own. She was infusing the the manuscripts with her own ideas.
1: I don't think so. I think I think she was very faithful to Bach. I have a feeling. Oh, okay. I have a feeling that if it comes up, if if somebody discovers the original manuscript, that we'll find that she was very very close to the original. I don't think so, she comes up with her own uh, her own okay. articulations. I'm I'm quite sure that she's trying to copy what Bach did.
0: So, how was this manuscript that you recorded from different from the one on the recording that you did before?
1: In some subtle ways, and in a few major, drastic ways, believe it or not, there are some actual time signatures that are different
2: mm-hmm. on
1: the Baron Rider edition that I used to record the, the the first set. For example, the preludes of the fourth suite and the prelude of the fifth suite. Are um, very clearly in cut time in two in the Anna Magdalena version, and in the in the Baron writer, it's it's written as four four. feeling something, feeling a piece of music in four or feeling it in two
2: mm-hmm.
1: gives it a very different sense of, of impulse and very different sense of, uh, of tempo. Mm-hmm. And so that, that has actually some, some pretty profound implications. But there are many, many, many small decisions that are very different, you know, in terms of, like, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the opening prelude of the first suite, Played by Pablo Casals. Mm-mm. He's the first one to record these pieces, and he he played those pieces with eight notes on one bow at the opening of the, of the prelude. Mm-hmm. And very clearly in the Anna Magdalena, she puts three notes to a bow with mm-hmm. some separates. <laughs> ¶¶ We argue about where the, the three-note three slur occurs, but the way I've done it is quite different from the way most people articulate it. And to me, it just makes you know more sense because the three voices are very clearly delineated. Delineated the way I've the way I've done it. So I use very much the Anna Magdalena articulation there and throughout. Actually, I mean it. It just starts to inform um, a lot of you know the idea that when there are sequences, when when material repeats. She rarely has it consistent. She, she'll she change it. Huh. And initially I thought, well, maybe I have to make it consistent. But then I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt, and I realized that inconsistency or variety mm-hmm. is part of what the language mm-hmm. is all about and that you might hear the same thing, but, you know, you take it a step down, and it's not quite the same thing. It, it You know, as things intensify or develop, it it takes on a different different tone different meaning and and uh, so it just it gives a whole new shape to the music
0: Well, Matt, I have so many things that I want to ask you about this, but it looks like we've actually run out of time, so this means you have to come back and talk about this again.
1: Sounds great. We'd love to.
0: All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom. Find us on iTunes where you can and should rate and review us. You can also follow us on Twitter and Tumblr and YouTube. Email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Thanks today to audio producer Todd Todd Tober-Holzlander for Twiddling Knobs. Thanks to program director Sinjin Flynn for discovering new selfie apps this week. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing poogie bear eyes. Thanks to Matt Heimovitz for being here today, and to the good folks at Crossover Media for setting up our Google Hangout. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: Bye. All
2: right, sushi.